السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أهلا وسهلا ومرحبا بكم جميعا أيها المستمعين والمستمعات بلاب لسنز of Radio Islam International Welcome back to حياة طيبة with myself معلمة شاكرة هنتل here at Radio Islam International every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon الحمد لله our show is from 2 to 3 p.m. and you know we are always focused on developing ourselves and the word that we are you know our key word is always طيب a life that is wholesome, a life that is pure. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He refers to our food as eat that which is halal and tayyib. Eat, eat that which is halal, and we always focus on the halal. But we forget that tayyib is also a key factor in our food, and that is the wholesomeness and the food that is going to be of benefit to us. And today we are going to be talking about something quite interesting, and we are looking at this topic has caught my attention recently because I have looked at many home industries and we look at food and sometimes our focus is just about getting it done, getting the food, eating as fast as possible, sorting it out, ordering what is the most convenient thing. But we don't realize this impacts our health, impacts our, our children's health and, and also impacts our relationship with food itself. So joining me today, I'm very honored to welcome Sister Shardana Kustin to Radio Islam International. She is a food uh, technologist and she will be describing to us in detail, discussing to us why is it so important to focus on this. Sister Sharadna, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to Radio Islam International. Thank you, Shakira. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I love to ask my, you know, whenever I jump into any topic, I love to, for people to know the person behind the interview, you know, behind the conversation. So why are you so passionate about food and what, you know, has drived your career? Um, so I'll be very honest with you, Shakira. You know, I started off my journey purely as a misguided uh, teenager uh, who went into studying food technology. Um, but very quickly, as I got into the program and I saw the details behind what I was learning and coming from a community where food is a big part of, of what we actually do, um, I really fell in love with it. And I mean, 19 years later, I've been in the food industry and uh, I've worked, I've had the privilege of working with beautiful, amazing companies that have taught me such uh, amazing lessons in life, not only in terms of my profession, but uh, as a human being, how to deal with people, the challenges of life, experiences in different countries, uh, people face, um, the passions for life. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Oh, I'm a mom. <laughs> a mom of so kids. So oh, food also is a huge right. part with children as well. Uh, yeah. And how you get them to eat uh, healthily but nutritiously and making, since you're making the choices for them. Um, yeah, so, so this is me yeah. and my food technology journey as an individual. Oh, that's lovely. So, so now for all our listeners out there, some people might be thinking food technologists, what is this? Is it just some other buzzword? Can you introduce us to us a little bit? Sure. So food technology is basically an element of food science. Um, it's that part of someone who understands food, um, the scientific elements of food, um, how food is actually or food ingredients are put together to make a final product, the production elements of that particular food product, and how to make sure that that particular product is produced 
safely, uh, including the people who produce it, they need to be safe, as well as the outcome of that product out of that factory facility, making sure that it is safe when that product is packaged in a product, uh, packaged in an element that can ensure that it goes to the store and still maintains the integrity of what's within it. And the information on that packaging has to be safe and secure. So that's a very... Uh, summarized version of what a food technologist actually is. All right. Okay. So, so when we just pick up the package at the store and we're just so excited to just take that home, there's a lot of thought process that goes into that. Okay. So as, as I want to now just move into the, the home industries and we are so fortunate to really in South Africa, I know living abroad for a while, you have to make everything yourself. We are really fortunate from chutneys to samosas to whatever it is. You think about it, somebody's making it, you know, and uh, people uh, who have home industries, sometimes they start off small, they've got this little, you know, um, a little go, and I, I love the fact that they start from their own kitchens. And then, mm. Alhamdulillah, you know, sometimes they brand off and they really take off and they become big overnight. Now, what happens is that they start to supply local independent stores, especially with sauces and spices. And I'm sure you, I'm in your local area, you must find so many local uh, sauces and spices that are packaged and it's from somebody's home and Auntie Amina or Auntie Fatima or Auntie Zainab. So I need to ask you, when it comes to consumer safety, right, especially when it comes to store-bought items, how can these ladies who are running home industries, how do they ensure that their product has the shelf life required? And what would they need to have, like in terms of labels, of ingredients, etc., when they are, and especially the suggestions that they're giving to their users? Yeah. So, you know, um, when it comes to shelf life, there's a, there's a big discussion around it, and it's hard to have a very general conversation around shelf life. So um, when we talk about food processing, you get sauces, and they are cooked in a different way, and you would preserve them in a certain way specifically for their use. So, for example, if you're making a sauce, and your sauce, you want to sell it in this particular independent store on a shelf. That means it's a shelf-stable product. And in a shelf-stable product, you would need to consider how you are preparing this particular sauce, and that would be temperature-controlled. And then you would have to add specific preservatives in it to make sure that it maintains it its integrity on the shelf for the desired amount of shelf life. So when I talk about shelf life, when you make your product at home, uh, clearly, you know, you've been making your product in your kitchen for a long time. So sometimes you would have had a sauce or a chutney lying out in the kitchen for a while, and it would have probably lasted you, I would assume, five days. And then you'd know whether it would go bad or not. So then you'd decide okay, this particular product is not meant to be outside in room temperature. It needs to be refrigerated. And refrigerated products are something we call a short shelf life product. So based on what you are producing and how you'd want to sell it in this particular independent store, you would need to be very clear with that independent store that this particular product is meant for the fridge and this particular product is can be uh, on your shelf. Um, and for these two different types of product, they would require different types of preservation methods. Like I said, preservation comes in the cooking process 
and it also comes with additional chemical preservatives that we would put into these particular products. Now, there's a lot of details around the types of additives that we use in these two particular products, and that's based on what you're putting in your particular source, and we would get into more details about pH, which I'm not sure whether you'd want to go into it at this particular moment. I think let's just, you know, for a moment, just move on with the interview. But I would like to just, if you could clarify to us, Camden tablets, you know, many people in, in uh, homebrew beverage, beverages, etc., they use this. What's the science behind it? And is it, you know, something beneficial or harmful? So Camden tablets is something that is used in the industry, but it is not specifically used for food. Um, its use is for wine beer and cider making mm -hmm. and uh, the reason behind that and it's classified as a, a sulfite preservatives because we've got different types of preservatives and the different preservatives are used for different food base uh, uh, bases so i mentioned the word ph so in right. the case of um, ciders beers and uh, wines they have a very different ph and when you use this camden tablet um it what it does is it it clears the back before the fermentation process actually begins because you add yeast into these particular brews. So it right. starts off the brewing process on a clean slate, but it doesn't stop the yeast making process. So that's why it is specific for the function of brewing of alcohol and not right. necessarily applicable to sauces and any other uh, mm. chutneys or food process, uh, foods that you are actually making. And it's not really effective uh, mm. because it doesn't kill the bacteria, neither does it um, uh, ensure that the ants, and we call it antioxidant process mm. because oxygen, when, when it goes into food, it, cause, it causes the fermentation process. So it doesn't really work in things like tomato sauces or chili sauces or any sauce, um, cheese sauces or anything of that matter. I'm, I'm so glad you clarified that because a lot of times, you know, this is something that people don't understand, that it's not necessarily one uh, product that's going to fit everything. You have to do your research, you have to build, especially if you're just a person making chutneys, how are you going to know what are the correct preservatives, etc. Okay, so Sister uh, we're going to move on a little bit and I want to look at it now from the point of view of finding suppliers. and. You had mentioned to our producer as well that it is, you know, really important to find a good quality supply of our products. So why do you think this is something essential? Um, so when we talk about suppliers, suppliers are something very critical in the food industry. So, for example, when you work in a big factory like I've worked in for the past 17 years, you would make sure that you have a supplier that's reputable. What that means is they are in not a, um, you know, they have hygiene uh, criteria. And when you're in a factory, you ask them for specific certificates. But when you're in a home industry, obviously, that doesn't really comply. But, you know, you everything's based on relationships. So you would obviously source your ingredients reputedly from stores or from suppliers that obviously look hygienic, make sure they do the responsible thing. And the responsible thing is making sure that the products that you buy from, from them that will eventually go into your product has a package on it and has all the necessary information on it. Because Packaging is very critical in our country in the sense that it shows that we actually respect the law of our country and it complies to certain regulations. So that in turn will mean that the product that you're buying is safe 
for you to use in your product and will ensure that your product is not compromised from a hygiene point of view. So go on the internet, you know, there's a lot of supplies that you can go out there. They have certain things like uh, a certificate of compliance if they're a producer. It's just something they would need from their local municipality to ensure that a health inspector that has come into their facility to ensure that whatever's going out of their facility meets all the hygiene requirements. And then you can go on to ask your supplier for, or if they don't have details on their product, for something called a certificate of analysis. Now, in a home industry, this is not necessarily required, but when you ask them if you're buying products in bulk, specifically spices, Sometimes we buy spices in in large quantities. You are able to ask these distributors, not so much a store, but a distributor that you're purchasing from, uh, uh, something called a certificate of conformance or a certificate of um, acceptability. This will show the supplier that you understand the requirements of the food and this particular certificate will say that the manufacturer has ensured that the product has been analyzed from a microbiological point of view, from a chemical point of view, as well as a sensorial point of view uh, to ensure that it's the same product consistently. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I, and I've learned so much already. Okay, so I, you know, uh, we, we were looking at home industries. You can see I'm quite passionate about assisting our, our ladies out there and, you know, uh, um, giving them this sort of understanding that there's so much more that they can learn, they can equip themselves, and they can grow their own businesses. So do you think then a home industry should liaise with a food technologist? Absolutely. I think a food technologist will really help the food um, industry uh, or or home industry uh, personnel to just get their product compliant and to give them ease of mind that whatever they're actually producing will actually go the mile and the promise that they have. Because I think every business owner wants to ensure that whatever they put out there is responsible. I think the food technologist would be able to consult with you and help you. You know, your recipe is your recipe at the end of the day and it's the magic that goes in there but that person will help you probably just tweak a few elements in terms of how to make sure that that product preserves appropriately to what you expect your desired shelf life would be and then that food technologist will be able to show you a few you know tricks of the trade in terms of how could you source this more effectively what can you substitute certain elements for that would help you go the extra mile so i think the use of a food technologist is greater than just the science behind it it's just the practicality of making sure that your product is always the same because in the in home industry sometimes you don't realize your chilies today are red and tomorrow your chilies are green and the color of your chili sauce comes out very different uh, every time so right. uh, They'd be able to advise you in terms of how do you make this look consistent, um, mm-hmm. not uh, only from a preservation point of view, but also just generally to make sure that your consumers or your customers are always happy with the product that you are always supplying them. So mm-hmm. a full, I definitely recommend consult with the food technologists, take advantage of them. There's actually quite a few food technologists um, in the industry. Um, and, and yeah, if you have the opportunity to source one, they could really help you a long way to grow your brand and business. 
Uh, sisters and listeners out there, I hope you're all taking notes. And if you know anybody who has a home industry, you know, let them, you know, get in contact with our sister Sharadna or any other food technologies. And hopefully this will help them, inshallah, and assist them to grow. So I just want to now ask and direct ourselves to this massive challenge that we face as a, as a country, which is obviously load shedding. And, you know, the reality of it is that every time you go into a, um, a store or a bakery, all you hear is people saying that, you know what, my, my freezer things are literally going off my stuff is getting cold and especially when it comes to sauces when it comes to dips when it comes to spices what tips can you give to our listeners out there maybe even those who are looking just for food for their family during the month of Ramadan how to keep their things in a way that is not going to harm the the, the health of their family yeah so this is such a difficult one because i myself personally you know have had kids with uh, tummy bugs consistently because you can't really control this um but the one thing i would say i think to the stores uh, or the independent stores that are carrying products i think they have a responsibility to ensure that if you have a lot of refrigerated product please try and ensure that when you do have a generator maybe prioritize your refrigeration section um because that's very critical because I do understand stores are losing so much of stock, um, also throwing out product that goes off. Um, so I think from an independent store's uh, point of view, I think they also have a responsibility to ensure that if they have refrigerators, they need to make sure that that refrigerator is ongoing in terms of making sure the products do stay chilled. Um, and there are various ways that they could perhaps maintain, you know, if you've got an open fridge, um, you know, you can find ways to to enclose it to keep the cold air in it so that when the refrigerators do turn off um, there is some kind of um, you know the cold air stays within their fridges and I and I know this is very difficult but you know we, we can find ways to actually find solutions um, in refrigeration uh, but more so on the home industry side um, if you are providing an in uh, um, an independent store with your product you have to be very specific um, to that that particular customer of yours in terms of how to keep this particular product, um, the storage conditions on it. And that's why the labeling of a, of a product is very, very critical. Um, so you would have to make sure that you engage with that particular distributor or the independent stores, that it has to be refrigerated. And then we'd go back to what this initial discussion was. Consult with your food technologist, have the conversation with her or him to say, you know what, I have these products. I love my product. I love the way it tastes. It is, it is a refrigerated product, but I need to find extra ways to understand how do I maintain the integrity of it. And that's where, you know, this person can help you with the chemical understanding of adding uh, preservatives, the appropriate preservative to your product. And in that case, if it fails, if you are, if, you know, um, load shedding or just power in that particular way, or you're planning to distribute your product across provinces and you don't have the cold chain to move that fresh product into a shelf-stable product, a food technologist can definitely help redevelop that recipe into a shelf-stable uh, recipe. Thank you so much for that. And I, you know, just want to end off. A lot of people always message me and they're asking me, you know, career choices, what are options, what are best, best. And you, and as you began this conversation, you said you didn't really know what it was and then you dive right in. Do you have any advice for our class of 2023? Maybe those who are probably aspiring food technologists out there? 
Yeah, definitely. I think in this day and age, you know, you realize there's food everywhere. Everybody needs food uh, to eat and sustain and live. And I think, you know, I never thought about this many years ago, but it is such a beautiful career to move into. Um, like I said, there's various elements of it. If you're a creative, you can go into the R&D elements of it where you can design the most amazing food products that you see in the market today. Um, and then and if you're someone who's so passionate about the hygiene elements, I definitely think uh, food production and safety is something that you should look into. But do some research. I think um, there's a lot of uh, information out there. Um, and like I said, I think there's many food factories around. And a food technologist comes in the disguise of someone working on the plant floor, just your mom cooking up in the kitchen, to be fair, and, underst uh, and understanding it. I'm our mums even know so much more about preservation, like using lemon juice uh, to keep certain things um, safe in our kitchen. So just do lots of research in terms of understanding a little bit of food, and I promise you it will be a wonderful career to, to move into if you have the passion for what uh, food is. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, and I hope you have a lovely, lovely day. Uh, goodbye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Listeners, you have been listening to Hayatun Tayyibah. Inshallah, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we'll continue with the discussion. Assalamu alaykum wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum jami'an. Ayyuhal mustami'in wa mustami'at. Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International, welcome back to Hayatun Tayyibah. Alhamdulillah, we just took a short break after a lovely discussion. And we move on to our segment two, our second part of today's show. And subhanallah. You know, today is being Jumu'ah and we are, you know, looking at the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran over this month, in the last few months, as we prepare for Ramadan. But today, I just wanted to focus on something that was so beautiful, so incredibly beautiful. This morning, I was invited out to Al-Huda Academy in Rabasham and subhanAllah, I met the most fascinating girls and teachers and uppers and they were, you know, discussing the importance of hijab and making this, taking this time to focus ourselves and build ourselves in connecting to the reason why we cover ourselves. And Alhamdulillah, I must say that it was a beautiful morning, but on top of that, it made me reflect and it, you know, added to that, it, it really changed my perspective a little bit. As I was speaking to them, then Allah opened up for me as well. And so I, I was asking the learners, that the word hijab that we often speak about, we, we use this word hijab, which means to cover. And when we look at the hadith of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa he uses this word hijab in many places, but one specific place that he uses it, he says, hujibatil jannah, hujibatil jannatu bil makarih. Can you hear the word hujibat? So you hear the word hujibat, hijab, it comes from the same kind of root letter, and it means to cover, to be covered. And so we wear a hijab, we, we cover ourselves, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it such that the Jannah itself is covered by difficulties. Now what this means is that it's not an easy process, not an easy path in order for us to get to Jannah and to get the Rabb of Jannah. So we have to ensure that we are striving to get there because it is covered with all of these difficulties. Now when we look at our own bodies, we as Muslim women, we choose to cover ourselves, we choose to take, undertake this decision to make sure that we are respecting our bodies, we are respecting our aura, we are valuing ourselves, we are making sure that we all look as 
we are as you know beautiful as we may be we are covered at the same time and we are respecting this gift that Allah has given us but this doesn't mean it's going to be easy and the whole the entire world right now is all speaking about world hijab day but we as mu'minin we understand that this hijab is an everyday challenge it's not something easy at times as we get older we look at the younger people and we think Oh, mashallah, they're doing it so well. Look how, you know, they, uh, sorry, we look at the younger people and we think, oh, look at them. They're making it a difficulty. It's not so difficult. I've been wearing hijab for 20 years, 30 years. It's not a difficult thing. The younger people, they look at the older people and think, oh, they can do it. It's so easy for them, but it's so difficult for me. And subhanAllah, what happens in the process is that we all look at each other thinking that the other one is finding it more easier or finding it, you know, getting there in a way that you are unable to. When we start to reframe our minds and we understand, Allah says that He will test us. Allah is going to test us till He knows exactly who we are and what we are going to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we look at this hijab, first and foremost, as a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and secondly, as a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we can recognize that I am doing it simply because it is the command of Allah. I cover myself, I cover my body, I cover every piece of hair of my body simply because it is the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not because of any kind of hype, any kind of fashion statement, anything else other than the fact that it is the command of my beloved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we do this, beloved sisters, we understand that just as Jannah is, is covered by all of those difficulties, so we have to go through them in order to get Jannah. In the same way, if we want to get Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to make sure that we are covering ourselves. And this covering is going to come with challenges. Now, let's look at some of the challenges that we might be facing. I think one of the most important challenges we face is that as soon as we put on our hijabs, then our our, you know, the whispers of shaitan or the people around us start to tell us, oh, you look so much prettier without hijab. Oh, you look so much more beautiful without hijab. Oh, your hair is so pretty. Why are you covering it? Or it's so hot. You're so young. These words come to us constantly. Now, when we think of wearing hijab in our cultures, we always think about, you know, it's the young people who have to go into hijab. But what about me and you who are, who are in hijab for years and years and years? We have to ask ourselves that I might be wearing my hijab, I might be wearing my abaya, I might be covering myself, but am I doing it in a way that is pleasing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Am I taking the responsibility of being mindful in this decision, in this obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And what do I mean by that? A lot of times we put on our bias, we put on our hijab, and then it is going according to the cultural norms. And we are not looking at it if it is going according to the norms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there's a very important thing that we have to remember, is that many of us get to a point where we stagnate, where we're wearing hijab and we're at a certain point and that's it. But we have to start progressing. And how do we progress? We have to find out if this hijab is something that is actually, you know, is actually done in a way that Allah is going to accept it. Imagine if we wear our hijab with years and years and years, and we come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah doesn't accept our hijab because it's not done in the proper way. So what we do is, when we wear our hijab, we ask ourselves the question, what is it that Allah wants for me from me within this hijab? Allah wants me to cover my femininity, my adornment, my zina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it that my, my, I learn 
to shroud my beauty so that beauty is valued, so that beauty becomes something that is kept between me and my family, between me and my my spouse. And subhanAllah, whether you are young or whether you are old, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides us to looking after this modesty, looking after this body and protecting it. And, you know, as I was chatting to the students today, I took out my phone and I said, let me throw this phone down. And everybody gasped. There was an audible gasp. Why? Because the reality is that everybody looks, you know, the, the, a phone is something so valuable to us. I think in the day and age that we live in, even diamonds and rubies are not as valuable as our phones nowadays. And subhanAllah, when you take that phone and you think I'm going to just, you know, just throw it out, just let it go or just leave it. Immediately, people will tell you, no, put a cover on that phone. Make sure that you are taking care of it. Put a protector at the front. Put a protector at the back. Make sure that you are you know, looking after this in every possible way. And subhanAllah, that is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing for, for us, subhanAllah. That he is giving us this protection. But we have to understand and recognize that there are challenges. And the first challenge will be the waswasa, will be the whispers of people. Secondly, will be the stagnation of our nafs. That we will think that, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm dressed in a certain way. I'm fine. And then we stay in that certain, you know, that, that place and we stagnate. And unfortunately, when we stagnate, we become rancid. So what we have to do is we've got to keep moving. We've got to add. If we're starting off at a point where our hijab is, you know, just a hijab and no, no abaya, then we need to lengthen our dress slowly but surely, lengthen it until it gets to a point that we are covering our entire body. And then if, we, if it's tight fitting, we've got to loosen it up, buy a size bigger, buy a size that you know is going to make sure that you are not showing your body off. And as you progress and as you get to the point where you might say, okay, I am ready, I want to go into, into, into abaya. If you are in abaya and if you are in a, wearing a hijab, maybe as the years go by, your hijab is, get, get, is slipping a little backwards. Maybe the hair, the hair is starting to show. What you have to do now is think to yourself, where am I in my journey and how can I progress? If I'm at home, if I'm in a, wearing hijab, but I still speak to people who are now mahram, okay, let me start moving away from that and speak only when I need to. Or subhanAllah, if you are in a way that you are wearing hijab, but your hijab is not something that is covering your bosom, not covering your back. Okay, let's progress. Let's make longer ones. Let's take the time. Let's go through our cupboards. Take out the ones that are not fulfilling the command of Allah. And say to yourself, Ya Allah, I'm wearing this hijab because I want to fulfill your command. I'm wearing this hijab because I want to make you happy. And it's not going to be easy. It's something that I must accept as it will be a test. So the test comes in the forms of the whispers. The test comes in the form of our own nafs, our own selves. Then the massive test that comes in the way of the world and the world tells me that I have to fit in. And so you'll find hijab styles that fit in. But hijab styles that fit in is the ones that will make us fit out on the day of Qiyamah. We have to understand and we have to accept this, I think, subhanAllah, that you might like the hijab to be smart and you might like it to be beautiful. And subhanAllah, the deen of Allah is so beautiful that we are supposed to love that. We're supposed to take pride in how we look. We're supposed to enjoy how we look. But what we're not supposed to do is make something that Allah has commanded us into something that's a commodity. And unfortunately, when we wear our hijab in a style, in a fashion, or in a way that we think that people will accept what we end up doing is we make our hijab something that literally will make us on the day of Qiyamah regret. 
So let us be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within our hijab. Mindful that when we are wearing a scarf, it is long. Or when we are pinning it, it's covering everything, subhanAllah. When we are purchasing our hijabs, our abayas, our whatever it is, we are making sure that it is not revealing. And unfortunately, if you look at today's days, there's a hadith that Nabi Sallallahu says to us that there will be a time when people will be clothed, but it will be like they are naked. And unfortunately, most of our abayas are, are coming across like that. Most of our hijabs are like that, you know. So we have to be taking this con- this consideration. We've got to take the understanding of how can I, as a Muslimah, make this decision of covering myself, but doing it in such a way that at every given moment, I am mindful of my Allah. I am mindful of my Allah and I am mindful of how I am pleasing him within this action. And then subhanAllah, in a world that would love to frame us as those people who cover themselves because they have no choice. The greatest choice that we have is that we choose to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most beautiful choice. In a world where people are choosing to obey their, their souls, their nafs. People are choosing to obey who? They are choosing to obey the people around them. We are saying, Ya Allah, we will choose to obey you because you are at the very, 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 very forefront and the pinnacle of everything that we do. Beloved listeners, subhanAllah, when we look at this word hijab and we understand that as difficult as it might be, when the Sahabiyat, when they received this command of Allah to cover themselves, Subhanallah, they grabbed anything and they covered themselves. And that's how we should interact with the law of Allah. It's how can I build my connection with my hijab so that it's not just a scarf over my head. That's the most important thing. It should not just be that it is a scarf or it's a cloth that I'm covering myself, something I have to do. But it should always take you back to this understanding that yes, I love to not wear my scarf. But ya Allah, I wear the scarf because I love you more. I, I will, you know, put this hairstyle and do it. And we all love it, don't we? We love it when our hair is straightened. We love it when we have our, our GHDs out and our hair is beautiful. But who do we love more? It's that beauty in that moment. Do we love the praise that people might give us when we look pretty? Do we love the response of people? A lot of people say this to you, right? If you go to, if you do your hair, people say to you, Oh, you look so beautiful without your hijab. And then, when you cover, they say, oh, shame. Why do you have to cover up your beauty? Oh, that's so sad. And we turn around. And this is what we have to say to ourselves first. I love you more, oh Allah. I love you more. And that is the crux of any test, is to see where your heart lies. Does your heart lie in the decision of, ya Allah, I am going to wear this hijab because my nafs wants it or because you want it? Oh, well, I'm not going to wait because I don't want to. Or am I going to force myself to say, Ya Allah, I want to try to do it only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're just speaking a little bit about the beauty and the essence of hijab. And we see so many beautiful ayat and so many beautiful laws that Allah speaks about. But I think the most important thing that we have to do while we are wearing our hijab is to ensure that we are making our decision based on how much can I get closer to Allah in this command of Allah. So just like our salah is a command, just like our zakah is a command, our hijab is a command from Allah Ta'ala. It comes with its challenges, it comes with its tests. 
But what we have to do is we have to take our strength from Allah. Oh Allah, grant me the strength to cover myself in a way that is pleasing to you. Now in the world that we live in, sometimes what we wear can be, you know, it's all about ease. Right? It's about ease. It's, I, I have to get in the car, to get out of the car, to pick up the kids, drop the kids, do this, do that. I don't want anything baggy. I don't want things hanging around. I want my things to be just simple and comfortable so I can get in and out as fast as I can. But this then makes me sometimes wear things that loses the essence of hijab. And that is a massive question that we have to ask ourselves. The clothing that I wear that goes with my hijab are they matching each other? Is my clothes matching my hijab? Is my, you know, choice of normal wear, is it matching my hijab? So it's two different commands. What I'm covering my body and what I'm covering my head is all my hijab. So I should make sure that the two of them are melding together. And then the next question we ask ourselves when we are bringing ourselves, taking ourselves into account is that, Ya Allah, I am wearing this hijab and I'm doing it to please you. But my behavior might not match this command of yours. This command of yours wants me to be, you know, subhanAllah, a person of dignity, a person of waqar, a person of honor, a person of fact. Is my behavior while aware this matching and adding up to be that person who Allah wants me to be. And subhanAllah, as we take this decision, you know, you've got young girls going into hijab, then you've got older women going to hijab, then you've got people who have been in hijab, they might have left it and come back to it, then you've got people diverting to Islam and going into hijab. We are all at a different spectrum. But we have to keep moving. And that is the key of taqwa. Taqwa is never getting comfortable with where we are. We have to constantly examine, re-examine, look at our salah like we always do and change it and move it and get closer to Allah. Now, with our hijab, it's the same thing. So I would like to challenge all you young ladies out there, women out there, if you're over 40, you're still a young woman, whether you're under 40, whether you're over 60, we're all young women at heart. Go to your cupboard and look at it and ask yourself this massive question. Is this cupboard pleasing to Allah or is it not? Is this cupboard, the clothing that lies in this cupboard, is it there? And then when I, when I run out of options, do I wear the thing that I know I'm not supposed to wear because I don't have anything else? Take out those things you know are displeasing to Allah. Take them out of your cupboard. Don't put them in there. Then ask yourself, Ya Allah, I have body type. Not every body type is going to fit into a certain type of clothing. So I must make sure that my body type is wearing clothing that is completely covering. That is not showing my zina. It's not showing my adornment. It's not showing my shape. It's not making it such that people are staring at me and turning around and looking at me. So this responsibility of hijab is one that we first and foremost we say to each other that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for each and every one of us to make his ita'ah. We don't judge sisters that are going through this challenge. You can you can be somebody who is wearing niqab and you can find it challenging every day to do so. You can be somebody who's starting off your journey and you can find it challenging. And then there are others who Allah makes it easy for them. But what we have to all do is never ever stagnate. Never ever stagnate 
in our journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Beloved listeners, you have been listening to Hayatun Tayyibah with myself, Malima Shakira Hanja, here at Radio Islam International. Alhamdulillah, we are so grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to always allow us to develop ourselves, to build our iman. And, you know, in building our iman, it's, it's sort of like when you build a house, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that's just going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. And it's going to be a constant movement towards achieving that goal. So somebody might finish their build, but then they focus on developing the garden. Then they develop the, you maybe they have a, a beautiful greenhouse or their garden shed. And you want to develop it in such a way that you know that this home will be a place of raha, place of comfort for me. In the same way, your hijab becomes your raha, it becomes your comfort when you build slowly and surely and you move and you move and you say, Ya Allah, I will not stagnate in this journey to you. I will not get comfortable with where I am in my journey to you. I will constantly look at my hijab as a source of gaining closeness to you. And at the bottom and the crux of it all, Ya Allah, I wear this hijab to please you. And Ya Allah, my value as a Muslim woman is attached to the way to your pleasure. Barakallah feekum, beloved sisters. Jazakallah khair for joining me today on Hayatun Tayyiba. It has been an absolute pleasure to, ha- to have you all with me today. Please keep me in your du'as. Today is the day of Jumu'ah. We ask Allah to accept all your ibadah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a means of khair and afiyah. May Allah make it a means of acceptance. And most importantly, I hope you all have a rest beautiful rest with your family over this weekend and the best of rest is the rest that we find in ibadah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh